everyone, and welcome to another episode of Monsters and Murder. I'm Shane. And I'm Sam. And today, my story is kind of a two-for-one, but before we get into that, how have you been? How are things? I know we just kind of talked about this, but still. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good. I'm tired. Like, I feel like I've said, like, the past couple weeks, I'm tired. That's because I'm tired. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like between work and class and podcast stuff and just like being a person and existing in general has been very overwhelming (laughs) and as like the semester's coming to the end I'm really looking forward to that two-week break between spring and summer semester yes I was getting ready to say that the semester's coming near an end for us and hope and soon that will be over and then we'll embark on new work school related work I guess (laughs) yeah I'm only taking two classes in the summer and I'm very excited Mm -hmm. not super pumped about my fall schedule but you know I'll get over it I'll deal with it (laughs) I have to take those classes it will be fun yes and I was going to tell you so on my way home today I was thinking about this case and I'm like it's not really scary because it's another cryptid and cryptids to me aren't frightening no. Um, so I'm not, like, trying to downplay them at all, but they just aren't something that scares me. The only one that, like, somewhat scares me would be a werewolf. Mm-hmm. And that's only because I watched An American Werewolf in Paris. And even <laughs> though, like, now watching it as an adult, I can see, like, the humor in it. Mm-hmm. The scene when he's down in the catacombs and his light's going out and you see the werewolf in the background. Yes. That really terrified me. Mm-hmm. I mean, now if I watched it as an adult, I probably would not be afraid. Oh, and the scene, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen this, like, 25-year-old movie. <laughs> the scene where they're in the club, and they lock the doors. You've seen the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they lock the doors, mm-hmm. and then people, like, turn. That, yes. I think that gave me nightmares for probably a month after I watched that movie. <laughs> I was, I think, maybe 10. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. that would be the only one that would scare me yes well and they can there can be movies that are kind of frightening about cryptids but the cryptids themselves especially when you do research into them they just aren't really scary to me they're more silly exactly and it's also partially because maybe i mean we did live through chupacabra i do remember when that was happening it the thought of a vampiric creature being out there was a little it still intrigued me when i was younger but there still was something frightening about it but then i was also like well it's also in mexico so i'm kind of safe right now Until it comes up this way. But without further ado, uh, today we will be talking about the Beast of Bladenboro and the Valley Cruces Demon Dog. Oh! Yes. So a dog and a cat, both very close to home for us. Um, Both, unfortunately, on the shorter end of research, but there's definitely more about the Beast of Bladenboro, which is why we're going to talk about it first. Have you ever been to Bladenboro, North Carolina? No, I... Honestly, when you mentioned that, I thought it was like in a different country. So, no, I have not been there because I don't know where it's at. But again, as previously mentioned, I don't know geography. So, <laughs> well, I, if I have been through it, it had to be a drive through when I was younger. My family was most likely on the way to the beach because I have no memories of Bladenboro. Like, I know what it is now and I knew what it was before I started this research. Oh, yeah. See, my um, family, we, we weren't the family that went on vacation. We, it would have been like, my parents arguing the entire trip to the beach, so it was pointless to go to, go on vacation. So no, I would not. I don't know where that's at. Yes, well, I mean it's kind of near the coast, but it's not really a coastal city. Um, but started for a little history, Bladenboro is named after the Earl of Bladen, who was the son of the King of England in the early seventeen hundreds. The king gave his son a parcel of land to live on. Which, when I say parcel, 
I mean, a very big piece of land that went from Bladenboro, North Carolina, to what we now know as the Mississippi River. Oh, so, you know, like several states over. Yes, that was how large of a parcel he got. The parcel of land was named Bladen County in his honor. And at the time, all the small sections were called boroughs, hence the name Bladenboro, which is derived from Bladen and Burrow. Bladenboro is a small community surrounded by pine forests and swamps at the southeastern edge of the North Carolina Piedmont. The small community is probably well known more than our town for one thing, and that is a certain cryptid that I think many people have heard of, and that's the Beast of Bladenboro that terrorized the small community between 1953 and 1954. And you may think it only has a span of one year of activity, which is surprising. However, as we get into the story, we will see that one year of activity is more just like a couple of months because it started at the end of one year and went into the beginning of the other. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean, you can really make um, like news sound bigger than it is. Not that this was like a small thing, yeah. but, you know, depending on... Uh, well, we'll get into the how a small thing became a big thing. Again, I <laughs> go back to that scene in The Little Rascals when they had that sign up for man-eating chicken, and it was literally just a kid eating a piece of chicken. <laughs> um, the Beast of Bladenboro, I did a trigger warning. I don't know if it's silly to say this or not, but it attacked other animals. So while we talk about that, I don't go into any details about it. Um, so yeah, here we go. The first known, or more aptly, the first attack assigned to the beast takes place on December 29th, 1953. That was my birthday. <laughs> yes. 33 years before I was born. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, there are a few different accounts of what happened on this day, and I'm going to share a few of them that I found. One account says that a local woman heard the neighbor's dogs going wild. They were barking loudly, whimpering like how animals do when they want something, but they can't get it. They were making such a noise that she decided to see what was going on outside. When she went outside, she saw what appeared to be a large black cat-like creature sulking around and then running off into the darkness. That's the first version. <laughs> okay, and I, again, don't know geography, don't know where animals live. But could mm -hmm. that have been like a panther? Mm-hmm, oh, it very much could have. Okay. There's... Another version that says she saw the large black-like creature dragging the corpse of one of the dogs into the shadow of the woods, noting that the corpse had been completely drained of blood. Okay, that's not Panther. I know that for sure. <laughs> they don't do that. Despite the attack not showing any visible signs of breakage on the skin. And this is just something she allegedly saw from her perch in the, her porch in this version of the story. Now, how would she know that its blood had been drained? Exactly. I don't believe that part. She's lying. <laughs> And finally, one account describes the 29th as the day of the first attack, having a local woman go outside and actually witness the beast killing a dog and then dragging its corpse away. But this version says the attack actually happened eight miles away from Bladenboro in the neighboring town of Carkton, uh, North Carolina. Regardless of which of these accounts is accurate, this is the day that everyone agrees on is the first sighting of the beast, which is now cryptid. The next reported sighting either happened two days later on December 31st or New Year's Eve shortly after the first reported attack was called in. It was called into a man by the, who was a police chief and his name was Roy Fors. Two dogs belonging to a man by the name of Johnny Voss, who was a resident of Bladenboro, were found dead with a significant amount of blood near their kennels. 
which sadly is, you know, more apt to an actual attack. Yeah. I think it's a panther. Mm-hmm. It could potentially be. And we'll talk more about that later. One resident by the name of Lloyd Clemens, which is a name I'm certain is only in the South. Yeah. Well, like, Next well, to Woody Storm. <laughs> where did um, Dumb and Dumber take place? That was in the Northern States, right? And one of theirs names was Lloyd. Right. Was it? Harry I Lloyd. don't know. I really actually don't like that movie. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that brings our unfortunate body count up to seven. Chief Force was in a day in an Inundated. Inundated. Inundated, yes. With reports of dogs being attacked from across the county. People said they saw an animal like a bear or a panther. Others reported hearing the creature scream coming from the swamps near the town, saying it sounded like a woman with a knife stuck in her back. Which, again, is a sign to a panther, because panther screams are said to sound like a woman screaming. Yes, but I I did like the addition of with a knife stuck in her back. How do you know what that <laughs> sounds like? City of Bladenboro? That's probably a serial killer who was like, this is what I heard. Yes. I don't know of any serial killers in that area, but, you know, that is oddly specific. Uh, very much so, yes. If this is really what they were hearing, then this definitely points to a panther being in the area. And I cannot recall if I've shared this story on the podcast before, but I have heard a panther scream, and it does very much sound like a woman screaming. I have not, but I've heard women screaming before. <laughs> I'm not a killer. If it's coming from the woods, especially in this area, even though they say there are no panthers in this area, I would still have second thoughts about before I run in there to investigate. Yeah, I mean, unless, like, you know, something was being attacked, then I would. Yes. But, like, I, I would at least call the cops. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. People will try to say there are no big cats in this area, and while they are few and far between, local hunting cameras always prove them wrong. And we got two big cats under the couch right now. <laughs> we do. And I'm sure you guys heard them, especially in the beginning of this podcast when they were running around. And <laughs> they are on something different this afternoon. Yes. And I actually put a note in here. Talk about how, like, we had a bear in our neighborhood, which is in the middle of town. So there oh, could yeah. be a wildcat out there. Yeah. And it was not a tiny bear. It was a big bear. Yes. That's uh, it it's was so crazy. It was a very jolly bear running up the driveway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the area we live in, our town, it's very wooded. It's a subtropical rainforest. It's a mountainous area. And when I was younger, my family lives at the bottom of a mountain out in an even more rural part of the county. And that's where we heard the panther scream. Um, nothing was ever caught, but other people heard it that day because police had other people calling it in. And it was, mo- and it was chalked up as most likely a wild cat up on the mountain. That's terrifying. Mm-hmm. And that happened in the early 90s, but it's still etched in my brain until this day, and I can hear it exactly as I heard it that day. Yeah, because it's something that you don't expect. It's not supposed to be here, so you remember that because it was so terrifying. Mm-hmm. And it was also before the mountain was kind of really... Like, there were people that kind of lived up there, but not like today. Like, well, I mean, even still, like, mm-hmm. where your parents live, it's not very, like, populated. Like, I mean, it's still pretty far out there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So getting back to the story, back to Bladenboro, on January 3rd, two more dogs were found dead, and this time an autopsy was performed on one of the bodies. This autopsy uncovered a brutal attack to the jaw and the poor dog being drained of blood. Good lord. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with the blood, um, which is kind of very a very vampiric trait. Yeah. This brings the victim count up to nine. Apparently, the beast decided that it would rest on January 4th because I found no reports of an attack this day. And then January 5th happens. And I say this like that because of the story that comes out on this day. And here's the headline. 
Vampire Charges Woman. 25 years later, in an article published in Carolina Living, written by a writer whose name is Jerry Bledsoe, decided to follow up on this case and see if he could actually get more details about this so-called attack. Jerry called information on his phone, which I'm sure was push button, but you know. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. I remember like calling information to get the weather. Exactly. Or like on a snow day, like keeping your fingers crossed that saying that your county school was closed. Mm-hmm. So he calls information and asks for the phone number of, of a Charles Kinlaw. And because this is way back when, they give it to him. Oh my God, like that's so, living in 2023, that is absolutely terrifying. I know. And even now, the amount of shit you can pull up on yourself just by Googling your name. Yeah. Google your name. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have. Like, there's so much stuff that pops up and like you can't erase it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, they give him this information, and he calls it, and a woman picks up. So he asks her if she is the same Mrs. Charles Kinlaw who was attacked. Again, attack and air, all air quotes. Um, all those years ago. The woman tells, tells him it was not her, but it was her daughter-in-law. And provides him the phone number of her daughter-in-law. Oh, my God! <laughs> That's a, a crime in and of itself! Yes! That's, I mean... I put it in there because it blows my mind, too. And like you said, it's living in 2023, when in probably in, like, 1990, you could still very easily do this. Oh, my God. That's so, uh, That's so scary that people were just, no wonder people disappeared back mm-hmm. then and they didn't know where they were. You got people giving strangers other people's phone numbers. <laughs> so he calls the daughter-in-law and she tells him she was not attacked, nor did she ever see the beast. And he quotes her in saying, that was a lie, just lies like they made up. It's all just a bunch of bull. And that's a direct quote from the daughter-in-law. <laughs> His... Don't ever call here again. Exactly. His article finishes with him stating that he does believe in the Beast of Bladenboro, but also a note from his publisher reads, if the Beast doesn't get Jerry, his column will continue to appear on Sundays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays in Carolina Living. <laughs> so they're clearly not taking this that seriously either. But... You can believe that back in 1954, they were taking this much more seriously. Yes, I, I do believe that. So there had been some low-key small hunts for the beast already in Blade and Burrow. Um, but on the night of January 3rd, you know, the two more dogs were done and the autopsy happens. Police Chief Roy Fors searched for the creature with his dogs, but they reportedly would not follow the trail. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Also, Roy is a good name for a cop. Mm-hmm, it is. <laughs> So while the beast may have been dormant on January 4th, the police of Bladenboro were not. A team of professional hunters were brought in from Wilmington to track down the animal. Chief Fours accompanied the tracking party, and he saw footprints the size of a silver dollar. Those aren't very big, right? Exactly, yeah, no. Okay, I was like... I feel like deer hoofs are also the size of a silver dollar, depending, like, if they're small. Yes, but they're distinctly different from, like, a cat. Exactly, exactly. I also read one account that said the footprints were no bigger than an inch. An inch. <laughs> okay, well, then that's like a tiny little, tiny little critter. They're finding, like, squirrel footprints. <laughs> a regular house cat footprint. Exactly. <laughs> my, I don't think my family really listens, so I'm going to share this story really quick with the listeners, because I think I've told you before, but my brother-in-law... Um, <laughs> My brother-in-law thought he saw a large cat approach my family's house because we, they live out there um, in, in the woods still. And he, he told my mom and he took out her attention like he was very scared. I was like, 
there's a large cat on the porch. Didn't you say it was a bobcat? Yes! <laughs> yes! And when my mom looked, it was one of the local neighborhood cats. <laughs> <laughs> and this might have been some of the footprints like they were seeing back in 1954. Now, have you never <laughs> seen a domesticated house cat before? <laughs> no. So if there were people like my mother-in-law there, you know, they were seeing all sorts of creatures and footprints, I'm sure. That was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but all right. So this party tracked the beasts for three miles around the swamp. How they did that, I don't know. Um, half a dozen youths, which I'm certain it was all boys, because the girls were probably made to stay inside. And it was also 1954, so it's probably like 10-year-olds out there with a gum yes. hunt, hunting this <laughs> exactly. domesticated house cat. Um, they and their dogs also hunted for the beast on this night, and nobody found anything. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> then we have the sensational article about Mrs. Charles Kinlaw. With the goes out with that National Enquirer-like headline, and other newspapers picked up on this story. So that night, after the not-so-attack, more than 500 people and dogs hunted through the woods and swamps for the creature um, on January 5th. And again, they found nothing. No, because you know what? When a cat doesn't want to be found, you ain't going to find the cat. Exactly! It was probably up in a tree watching them somewhere. <laughs> yeah, probably so. Oh, look at all those idiots down there. <laughs> yes. The next day, January 6, 1954, other newspapers were running with the story. One paper, no source of which ran, allegedly ran a story about a dog from one of the hunting parties being dragged away into the swamp while the hunting party was just a couple hundred feet away. And there's no proof that that actually happened. Another story allegedly went out about a pet rabbit whose head was bitten off and all the blood drained from the body. Oh. And the body was found in one of these searches. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean it was the creature that killed the dogs. Exactly. You know, rabbits aren't very big. No, no. Sadly. I love bunnies, but still. Me too. <laughs> and then I then this article I found from 1954, someone in town, or maybe the authorities, because we really don't know who received a long-distance phone call, but someone in town received a long-distance phone call from a man advising that he'd arrive soon with his elephant gun. Oh my. So as you can see, this is kind of getting out of control with people going out and hunting with their dogs and all the stories that are being told. And then this dude calls someone in town and says, I'm coming with my elephant gun. And it could have just been some resident, like, yeah. just making a joke out of it. And the thing is, is like in the article, it talks about this long distance phone call, but no one knows who got it or when. Okay, that could have just been the uh, writer of that article trying to sell newspapers. Maybe. So, that night, January 6th, and that's a day in infamy now because of 2021. Oh, God. Yeah. But on this January 6th, another hunt took place, this time with over 800 people showing up to partake. Chief Force planned to tie up dogs as bait to lure the creature out, but this plan was not put in action, thankfully. Uh, yeah. The hunt itself was ended by officials due to safety concerns. Uh, thank you. <laughs> the next night, another hunt took place, and the number of hunters ranged somewhere from 800 to 1,000. We don't have an exact count, but it was allegedly more than the day before, but not too much more. And, and that day, the 7th, is my mother's birthday, as well as Israel Keys. <laughs> and the day before my birthday. I know lots of stuff happening in January. Yes. And I... 
took this quote from an article because it's kind of funny to me, especially because we're so close to Tennessee, but it said, men from as far away as Tennessee descended on the town. I'm like, that's our neighboring state, and it's really not that far away. So, like, three hours? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, it would be, in, it's almost, it would be even funnier if someone wrote an article about Boone. It was like, men from Tennessee descended upon <laughs> Boone. And it's like, from 20 minutes away? This yeah. is nothing new. That would happen in 1954. I'm like, doing. we have a Walmart. The closest town in Mountain City does not. <laughs> they descend <laughs> on us every day. Yeah. Um, I've also heard reports from other people saying that, that men from other countries actually did come in, but I couldn't find anything concrete or proof of that. I don't think that would... I don't think that was happening. <laughs> so, at the height of all this, the Bladenboro mayor of the time was Woodrow Fussell, a guy that I've kind of come to really dislike. He decided it would be a great time to show a fright-provoking movie called The Big Cat. Oh, God. Which was a movie about a sheep-eating wild cat in which an English community fell into hysteria over, which is kind of like what's happening in Bladenboro at this time. Okay, so it was a cat that was eating sheep or a sheep that was eating cat? <laughs> a cat eating sheep. Okay. Yes. Um, so now these giant hunts are taking place. The mayor is sending the town into further fright by showing that movie. And Bladenboro is receiving all sorts of letters about their beast. Oh my gosh. It's like, let's send the town into hysterics. Yes. On January 8th, there was another hunt. But this time, it's allegedly only four fraternity brothers from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. To and they wanted to hunt the beast because they wanted to have the beast's head on their wall. No, they got drunk at a fraternity party. <laughs> exactly. And said, Let's go out and get this motherfucker. <laughs> That's what happens. You know, when the frat boys come in like the party is over. That's why they were the only four out there. Yeah, someone out there yelling, "You're my boy, Blue." <laughs> <laughs> Mayor Fussell officially called off the hunt unless the creature made another obvious kill or there was a legitimate sighting. The armed hunting parties of the previous nights had become too large for safety, and Chief Forrest received a telegram from a humane society in Asheville, North Carolina, protesting his plan to stake out dogs as bait for the creature. Thank you. Thank you, Asheville. Exactly. I feel like we say it a lot. Thank you, Asheville, for being so <laughs> progressive, even in the 50s, that you were like, we're not sending these dogs out there to be killed. Yes. So at this point, the town is terrified and, like you said, kind of falling into hysteria like that movie. Finally, it comes to a head on January 13th in 1954. Luther Davis, a local farmer, found a bobcat struggling with a steel trap in a big swamp, or in the big swamp, four miles from the city, and he killed it. Mayor Fussell declared that this was the cat, this cat was the beast of Bladenboro, and it was captured and killed. Various reports described this cat as unusually large or not big enough to kill the dogs that died in the past week. Yeah, that's what I was getting ready to say. Bobcats aren't that big. No. And usually they're, like, unless they're rabid, don't they generally, like, run from you? Unless you, like, go after their babies? Mm, kind of. I mean, it's one of those things where I'm, like, you don't want to, like, really be near them. But if you leave them alone, to my knowledge, they'll leave you alone. Yeah, that's what I always thought. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wouldn't go after any, like, wildlife, you know. But, like. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think that they would come after you. Mm-hmm. Mayor Fussell, um, so he declared that cat dead. And then the good mayor um, takes a picture with the man who killed it that we're not going to share. But it's of the mayor and farmer. And honestly, if you look up this cryptid, it's unfortunately one of the first pictures you see. Ugh. And it is very much just like a mountain cat 
They're holding it like people do the fish that they catch out of the ocean. Ugh. Mm-hmm. So gross. Yeah. But, you know, if you want to see that, then you can very easily find it. He sounds like the mayor in How the Grinch Stole Christmas. A real turd. Kind of so. Um, now, I read another kind of rumor about this. I don't think it actually happened, but there are sources out there that say they strung the animal up with a sign that read, This is the Beast of Bladenborough. I'm sure they probably did. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it wouldn't surprise like me. That in North Carolina in the 50s, they did a lot of shit that was absolutely probably disgusting. Exactly. On the same day, Bruce Souls from Tabor City was leaving Bladenboro when he hit a large cat with his vehicle. And according to reports, it was spotted like a leopard. Oh. Yes. This man was known for endlessly entertaining children, doing tricks on a skateboard, and causing people to marvel at the seemingly endless number of feats he could accomplish despite his disability. He saw an opportunity when all this started, and he began to produce license plates and other memorabilia with the vampire beast painted on it. And of course, he had no trouble selling them to the scores of hunters who descended upon the town. At the end of 1954, in December, five pigs and some chickens were found deceased in the same manner as the dogs in January. The next day, a stray dog was put down and he was believed to be the culprit. Even though the chickens had been resting in a tree. When they were murdered. And that's still where they were. And um, dogs don't climb trees. Exactly. But I don't have faith in the authorities. Or I don't know. Maybe Mayor Fussell went out there and made that call that it was a dog. Because clearly he has no clue what he's talking about. Clearly not. But la- that's the last we hear of anything concrete concerning the Beast of Bladenborough. However, it did leave so much of a legacy that in 2008, Boost the Borough Inc. became the host of the annual community festival known as Beast Fest. This festival is always on the last weekend of October. Estimates and attendants say that they draw in close to 8,000 attendees a year. Beast Fest is completely underwritten by both businesses and personal sponsorships of various levels, allowing us to provide practically all of the events and activities completely free to attendees. All profits received from Beast Fest go directly back into the community and support various projects, uh, project initiatives that improve the community, for both residents and small businesses. So what exactly is Beast Fest? Is it just like local vendors where you can buy stuff and get food and play games or what? Essentially, um, it's just celebrating that they have their cryptid. You know, like how, I'm trying to think, um, Chauncey, who's this little alleged lake monster. That town has a yearly event where it's like the Chauncey event and everyone comes. And it's like you said, it's food, games, vendors, stuff like that. Music. I mean, that could be fun. Mm-hmm. Near the uh, beach. Beast Fest has two goals. Every event and activity must be in good taste and appropriate for the entire family, and it must be safe, welcoming, and have an all-inclusive atmosphere, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, there is never an admission for charge to Beast Fest. Of course, there will be food vendors, amusement park rides, and arts and craft vendors that you can enjoy, and those do require cash, which is how they kind of raise their money. That sounds cool. All the festival entertainment is free, and there are plenty of other activities that do not require purchases. So it sounds like a cool thing that I totally want to visit. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun, actually. In 2021, the Scare Network TV produced a documentary entitled The Beast of Bladenborough that uses very obvious CGI and animation to depict the beast whenever they show it as the real residents talk about it. And that's The Beast of Bladenborough. So what do you think it actually was? 
I do think it was some type. Most likely, I think it was honestly probably a mountain lion. Yeah. I think it was someone that had it as a pet and it got out. Mm Mm-hmm. Because they never found the body. Mm Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. But I don't know why they would be drained of blood. Yeah. Like, that's weird. Mm Mm-hmm. That could just be a made-up part of the story that didn't actually happen. Very true. But, as I said, we're not done yet. We discussed a rather well-known cryptid. That is a cat. And now we're going to talk about the other one, which is not as well known. And therefore, there's even less information on it. But this cryptid is very local. And it's known as the Valley Crucis Demon Dog. I have not heard of this. (laughs) Well, this one, at least, well, for you too and I, it's very close to home because Valley Crucis is super close to where we live. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, in the summertime, I go there a lot. And I have friends who live there and... I know this, I've knew this creature ever since I was very young. Valley Crucis literally means Valley of the Cross, from two streams which meet right at right angles in the middle of the valley. Sally, due to industrialization and more people moving into the small community, these streams are no longer present and they're gone, and you can't really find them. Once again, people are the true monsters. Yes, they are. Anyway, the story begins in 1860, which is some new information that I kind of discovered through this research that I had not heard of an exact year date this all began. And it seems to be forever intertwined with an alleged haunted church that I will not name because this church is still an active church. It is legit. And they do struggle with vandalism and trespassing all the time from unwanted guests who want to explore the hauntings and conduct rituals. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Come on now, people. So... Our story, as I said, begins in 1860, where some bodies, which described as a few not-so-exact number, I don't know how many, but they were found in the nearby woods near this church. When searching for what killed these people, the local minister allegedly claimed to have seen a demon dog kill them. Like he saw the dog kill them or saw the dog, like, running away? Kill them. Oh. Allegedly. (laughs) One version I found actually depicts the minister telling the townspeople or the community folk, whatever you want to call them, because Valley Crucis is not really a town. It's more like a community. But allegedly that he told them that the beast he saw was actually Satan in beast form, and he killed those people because they were sinners. And again, that is just one version. That's a very mm -hmm. Southern Baptist preacher. Exactly. I was going to say, it's a very Southern way to tell the story. They died because they They were were sinners. sinners. (laughs) And they were sinners because they probably, like, danced. (laughs) (laughs) The woman was wearing jeans. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, that beginning is what I did not know until now. And I will be honest to say I could not find any evidence of this whatsoever. Like, no records of people being mysteriously found dead in the woods near there. But I suppose all creatures have to begin somewhere. So now, given the time period, I'm not surprised that a demon something, you know, is what was cited. I'm just surprised that they didn't think it was a witch. Well, that, that, I'm sure if we look back farther, uh, far enough, we would be able to find that. (laughs) So there's no other mention of the demon dog until more modern times when two young men, some say they were students from nearby University of Appalachian State, um, or they were just two young men. We don't know. But they were driving through Valley Cruces one night. We have no dates on this as... I heard the story when I was a child, so maybe 90s, 80s, though there is a version of the story that claims this was in the 80s, 70s even, I don't know. Some point between 70s, 80s, and 90s, (laughs) the story happened. So they drive by this church and graveyard, and let's be honest, Valley Crucis is rural, it's out in the country, 
So they were probably driving a little too fast because that's what people do. Yeah, and it's really curvy out there in some spots. It is. It is. It's very. It's a curvy little back road. When I'm out there, I don't speed because, like you said, it's too curvy for me. But so many other people do. Mm-hmm. So the story also says that it was a clear night in a full moon. They were traveling down the road next to the church one night, though I've heard a version where it was an autumn night because that's when creepy things happen. So, of course, it has to be in autumn. Can't be in any other season. I just like it because it's boob season. <laughs> change colors. As their car turned a corner passing the old church, the two young men saw a shadow leap out from behind one of the graves and into the road in front of them. Like, it happens directly in front of them, so the driver has to swerve and slam on their brakes to not hit this creature. The two young men proceed to see if they could see what they almost hit. In the moonlight on the road, a massive dog the size of a full-grown man covered with bristling black fur and bearing its massive teeth with yellow eyes. Or And another version also says it might have red eyes, but this is what they see. Not reflecting light like dog's eyes should be, but actually glowing, burning with a smoldering light that seemed to have come from the very fires of hell. Ooh. Yes. This giant dog begins to approach the car, growling and snarling, so the driver slammed his foot back down on the gas, taking off from the beast. It's reported that two young men were speeding, big time, going from 0 to 80 miles per hour in no time. And when they looked back to see if the creature was gone, it was still chasing them, and most disturbingly, the demon dog was keeping up with them. Just as it was about to be back in striking distance of the vehicle, where it can make an impact on the car, they drove over the bridge where the two streams meet and form a cross. Only then did the demon dog stop following them, and they watched as it faded away back into the night, back into the shadows which it came. (laughs) The two young... Men drove back into Boone. You know, shout out to Boone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where they stopped at the one and only open place, which was a diner slash waffle shop, which Boone has had a few, so I'm not sure which it was, but I can assure you it was not our newly-ish waffle house, nor was it the very short-lived IHOP, which we had for a minute. Yeah, literally, I went there one time. If it's the place that I'm thinking of, they do have really good pancakes. (laughs) Well, there used to be, like, I think it's actually, um, like, I have an idea about where it was. And I think it is a waffle shop that used to be where, um, oh, goodness, I can't remember the name of the sub place is now. But it's where Hungry Howie's used to be when it first came to Boone. Mm -hmm. It's, It's that building near Walmart that has been so many things, like a yogurt shop, the pizza place. I can't remember the name of it. Of what's there now. It's like, it's a sub place where they heat up the subs, but it's not Christmas. Pin Station or something like that. Yeah, Pin Station. I think that's where it was, because that used to be a diner. At least when my father worked at a gas station, it was open all night. I liked it better when it was um, the frozen yogurt place. Yes. (laughs) Which, also for a minute, we had like five of those, too. I know, now we only have one. Mm Mm-hmm. So anyway, they go back to this Waffle House. They stop at wherever this place is to try to settle their nerves. And while they're at the diner, they knew they were not going to sleep that night. So they begin to tell the others who were at the diner, which were the workers and whoever else might have been present at that time of night, about the demon dog that they encountered in Valley Crucis. And thus, like all good stories, soon everyone would know about the Valley Crucis demon dog. It's still a legend that people talk about. I first heard about it when my family took us to the nearby Valley Crucis Park, which 
is honestly a really amazing place. I love it. It's beautiful. It's fun. Um, I it, snuck alcohol in there one time. And <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a long time ago, and I didn't see a demon dog. No. So if anyone's ever in the area, it's a place I highly recommend they visit. It is really pretty, mm-hmm. even when you're not drinking. Yes. Um, I can't recall how old I was when I first heard the story, and I definitely remember the story being used as like a warning to keep me and my siblings on good behavior while we were at the park. <laughs> my mom used the story of the leprechaun to do that to my brother. <laughs> like the leprechaun from the horror movies? Yes. That was her uh, form of keeping him in check. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm also sure, because I feel like this story probably came more from my father than my mother. But I feel like he probably definitely teased us about it. And on dark nights with a clear sky and a full moon, if we were out there, you know, he would tell us to watch out for it. But some people still say that the demon dog is said to lurk in and around that old graveyard waiting for its next victim. Oh, I would say we could go, but then I would know I would be terrified and I wouldn't sleep even <laughs> if we didn't say anything. But that is the story of the Valley Cruces demon dog. I had never heard that before. I know. It's wild how many people live here who have not heard it before, but it's our own little cryptid. However, we don't have a holiday or a big festival celebrating our cryptid because, like you said, not many people know mm-hmm. about it. And it's and it's so confined and tied into that church, which is still active, which is why I'm not naming it. Because um, there's a part of me that's like, I want to go explore the haunted church, but I'm not going to do that out of respect. Yeah. And I, in fact, I know someone who attends it, so. Yeah, I, I don't, like, I'm not a huge fan of, like, going to graveyards. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that they're, like, they're creepy, but if you really think about it, they're really not creepy because if, if, when you die, if you're going to haunt a place, wouldn't you rather just go and, like, hang out in a place where you were really happy instead of just, like, mm-hmm. at a graveyard? Yes, absolutely. I mean, now I do sometimes. I don't say I hang out in graveyards because I don't. Don't lie. <laughs> yeah, that's really what I'm doing when I tell you I'm going to the park. I'm just going to go sit in a graveyard and, and be gothic. I don't know. <laughs> Take moody pictures of yourself. <laughs> yes, moody selfies with my hair over my eyes. <laughs> but out of respect, especially ones that are near active places, yeah. and I always have respect when I'm in there too. Yeah. Um, when I do walk through certain graveyards, because I have past graveyards, I'm like, oh, it's a cute little graveyard. I like to walk through one day. <laughs> cute little graveyard. Yes. From Shane. Yes, yes. I told that to another friend, and they were like, really? Cute little graveyard? And I'm like, it is. But, but that's our two cryptids this week. And I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed doing the research and telling you guys. That was fun. It was. Uh, and I'm pretty sure, again, the Beast of Bladenborough. Somebody had a. A wild cat as a pet. That they shouldn't have. That's like early Joe Exotic. <laughs> and it got out. Mm-hmm. And then they captured it again. Yes, they captured it or that man accidentally ran over it. Yeah, and don't keep wild animals as pets. No. They're wild animals because they should be out in the wild. Mm-hmm. Yes, we, like, I believe very much in conservation for animals and yeah. nature because we yeah. have so little of it left. Yes. But... But yeah, and who knows, maybe one day, I saw something today that I would like to cover, but I just don't think there's enough information because it's also not real. But have you seen those TikToks where it says, I'm a time traveler, so keep these dates in mind for natural disasters? Oh, and I'll say that would terrify me. Really? Yeah. I watch them all the time. Spoiler alert, nothing happens on these dates. No. But I saw one today that said, um, sometime later this year, there'll be, the big earthquake will finally strike California, and... This big crevice will open and animals thought to be extinct will come out from it. And I was like, what animals will be coming out from this crevice? Like dinosaurs? Is that what you're trying to say you're going to happen? A woolly mammoth. 
<laughs> exactly. But yeah, so that's that's the episode for today. Well, that was fun. <laughs> I enjoyed that one. Not that I don't enjoy the other ones, but I like this one. It was yes, really no, we, fun. we had a lot of fun with this one and, and stuff that happened, so. Do you want to give them our socials where they can reach us? Yes, so we are on Instagram at Monsters and Murder Pod, and you can reach out to us uh, via email at monstersandmurderpod at gmail.com. Can rate, review, mm-hmm. leave us a comment. We'll talk back. <laughs> we do, yeah. And not in the bad way. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> we don't talk back like that. We reply to comments. That's what I should have said. We will talk back to you. <laughs> <laughs> but all right. Until next time, everyone, stay safe. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.